0: Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast uh, and the class today is dedicated in memory and sponsored anonymously as well. The Week of Cold Brew is dedicated in loving memory of Sammy Sa'ed, Alava, Shalom, sponsored by his son, Isaac Sayed. Rabota, I wanted to teach you something today which is a little bit different, maybe off the beaten path of what we would normally learn. And the message, though, I think is driven home in an even stronger way because of the metaphysical nature or the mystical nature of this idea. The Arizal says, if you take a look, when Am Yisrael reaches the borders of Eretz Yisrael, so the Jewish people decide that they need spies. We want spies to go into the land of Israel and the Mossad was born, okay? <laughs> they needed spies to go into the land of Israel to travel around. Amazing, by the way, those spies also were not detected by anyone. All they found afterwards was one shoe. Either way, the point was that, Rabbi Atai, as as the, these agents were, were hired by Moshe to go, uh, to go into the land of Israel, um, HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes it clear. He says to Moshe, he says, anashim. These people, you know, if you want to send, you can send. I'm telling you, I'm not telling you to send. And Moshe should have understood from that, that God was discouraging the sending of the spies. But ultimately, in the end, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, acquiesces to the demands of the people and they pick a bunch of people to go into the land of Eretz Israel. Now we'll speak a little bit about the nature of these spies, about what drove them to do what they did. But suffice it to say for today's point that these people had an agenda. And when a person has an agenda, it becomes very difficult to see things through the perspective uh, of another person who doesn't have the same agenda. Husbands and wives that are fighting all the time because they have different agendas, right? They want one thing because it works for them. The other person wants something else, works for them. So you find all the reasons to support your case, And the other person finds all the reasons to support the other person's case. So what happens, just so we, let's kind of role play this. So the husband will say, well, I think we should do this because of this. I think we should choose that because of that. I think we should move here because of this. And the wife will say, yeah, but what about these reasons? Meanwhile, no one actually brings up the valid reasons of the other person's side. They just say, my my reasons have more weight. They're more important. They mean more, okay? So let's take a look at this. The Arizal writes that if you look at the spies, it doesn't say, Shamuah ben Zakur, it says, Limateh Shamuah ben Shimon, you know, uh, each one of the, the, the tribes is started off with the words, Limateh to the tribe of X Gadiel ben Vopsi, I don't know, whatever, whoever the names were for each and every tribe. The Arizal writes, what does this mean, lemateh, this person? He says that Moshe Rabbeinu already got the inkling that there was going to be a problem here. So what did he do? He did something that was called ibur nishama, which is, again, beyond the scope of this class, uh, explaining what this means. ibur nishama means, so to speak, the word ibur comes from the word of pregnancy. It means when someone takes on the soul of someone else who's passed already. So someone that's le- lived in this world that maybe has not yet fulfilled their obligations or for whatever reason, that person can, so to speak, be an add-on to a person's neshama in this world. Again, what these metaphysical, kabbalistic ideas mean are beyond me and especially at a 9 o'clock a.m. breakfast on a Sunday morning. Okay, it's not exactly the time and place this needs to be done in the middle of the night when everyone's you know kind of in that frame of mind i think okay but at the same time whatever this means it means that there was supposed to be some sort of help from the add-on the booster pack of a neshama, of reuven in the uh, in the in the person and ben zakur the booster pack of shimon in the shaliach in the uh, messenger and the spy that was uh, on his, on behalf of his the Arizal even takes this point all the way down down the line. He says, so what happened when it came to Yosef, when Moshe was so to speak attaching or connecting the souls of the of the person who was the spy together with your your, your the, with all the that works. But when it gets to Yosef, there's two tribes that come from Yosef. Says the Arizal, pay attention, you'll see. It says LeMatay Yosef. Menasheh for your for the tribe of Yosef to the tribe of Menashe. And then it carries on. But when it comes to the other tribe of uh, that would came from Yosef, which is Ephraim, it says, doesn't say, Limmate Yosef, Limmate Ephraim Hoshea Benun. It just says Limate Ephraim. So what happened to the tribe of uh, Ephraim, which was fronted by Hoshea Abenun? The Ariza writes that Moshe Abenu prayed. Hoshea Benun and changed his name so he gave so to speak the neshama of the tribe of Levi of Levi himself because Levi didn't have a representative so Levi was given to Hoshea Benun my friends this is wild so we're hearing this crazy idea that all the tribes had some access to these master to these master magnificent souls the souls of the tribes themselves why am I bringing all this to you to show you one simple, powerful point, and that is, if you take a look at it, it says that opinion shilomo. After all of that, what happened? They still failed. What happened to the great souls? What happened to the sadikim? What happened to the ibur nishama of the arizal? What happened? Who survives? Yoshua. Say the mifarshim to teach us a tremendous lesson. You know why Hosea Benun survived? Why Hoshea Benun survived? Why did Kalev Ben Yifune? why did he survive? Say the Mifarshim, they survived because they went to go and pray by the Kever Avot, by the graves of the Sadiqim. Some say it was only Kalev, okay? But either way, they prayed. Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for Hoshea Benun. Or uh, Yoshua pray. Sorry, Kalev went to pray by himself by the kivrei avot. You could have the best yichus in the world. Do you know who my grandfather is? Do you know who my uh, you know? Do you know which family I come from? You know how many grandpas I have that were chief rabbis. I don't care. I don't care what your last name is. I don't care who you come from. I don't care your yichus. I don't care if people interceding on your behalf are the Shvatim or the Avot themselves, a person as an obligation to pray for themselves, to pray in this world, not to rely on spiritual sigulot only, I'm tapping into this, I'm connecting to that, L'Shem Yichud in the souls of all the great tzaddikim, wonderful. And I'm sure it helps on some level. But you need to pray here. That needs to be done here, right here, in this world also, to be able to affect the change. You know, they tell a story about the Baal Shem Tov. And I read the story and my eyes were popping out of their sockets. Baal Shem Tov's traveling with one of his students. He says, we need to make a stop. They go to some, you know, broken down area where there's nothing there, probably the cheapest real estate in the town. And there's one little shack on the outskirts of town. Baal Shem Tov says, this is where we're gonna go. The student already knows that everything weird the Baal Shem Tov does has a reason, so he doesn't bother asking, because he knows, just like everything else, on, wait and see. Huh? Wax on wax off. Wax on wax off. He doesn't stop asking already. They go there, the Baal Shem Tov walks in, he says, Shalom, how are you doing? Nice to see you. He says to the woman, he says, uh, is there any way I'm very hungry, We haven't eaten yet today, He there any way we can have some food? The woman says, she says, I'll tell you the truth, all I have in the food, all the only food I have in the house, There's just this little bit of food left. I'm saving it for my husband, he's coming back. He's, uh, what's it called? He's a wood chopper, he works hard all day. This is the only food I have to feed my husband. Rabbi says, I understand. He says, but I'm very hungry. Is there any way you can give it to me? She says, I'm saving it for my husband. He says, no, I understand that. He says, but I'm very hungry now. (laughs) (laughs) So I understand that your husband and the food, I've heard that already, you know. You mentioned that earlier, but I'm very hungry. The student is sitting there, sh- looking at his rabbi, like I was when I was reading the story. Like this. Right? He keeps asking until eventually she gives him the food. What's she going to say? She, I'll tell my husband, the rabbi, deman- he didn't let me, he demanded it, which I, <laughs> you know? Anyway, the rabbi finishes eating, the student's like, still red, he's like, can we go now? The rabbi says, no, he says, I'm very tired, is there any way? I could lie down. She says, I'll tell you the truth. She says, you see, there's no furniture here. The only thing we have is we have the, the, the hay. So I have prepared some hay for when my husband comes back. I can put it on the floor. He'll be exhausted. The floor is not so clean. It's wet. You know, I put the hay down. and He could sleep on the hay. But I only have this amount of hay for my husband when he comes home. The rabbi says, that's, that's, um, that's very sad. He says, but I'm very tired. <laughs> Would you, mind, would you mind terribly if I lie down on the hay? The woman's like, it's for my husband. My husband needs the hay in order to sleep when he gets home, right? Are you, you know, it's not, I need it for him. And the Baal Shem Tov says, I got you. The hay, please. <laughs> you know? And the woman, he keeps arguing with her until finally she gives him the hay. The student's about to lose his mind. The rabbi goes to sleep comfortable, okay, sleeping the sleep of the blessed, an hour goes by, two hours go by, three hours go by, the guy comes home, starving, he's exhausted, been chopping wood since 3am, he says, uh, good afternoon, honey. I'm really, really hungry, could you prepare the food, she says, we don't have any food, she says, he says, what do you mean? She says, well, this rabbi came. I kept telling him that I was saving it for you. But he kept asking. He kept until eventually. I, what I, The guy says, well, you gave it to a rabbi. The rabbi was there. He, I guess he must have been very hungry if he took the food knowing that it was the only food that you had for me. All right. He says, I guess I'll just go to sleep and I'll wake up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, well, about that. <laughs> she pulls the curtain aside from the corner of the the hut, the rabbi is sleeping there blissfully. Uh, she says, I don't have the hay. Anyway, had uh, done. Done, done like they say. He goes outside, he raises his hands to the heavens. He says, master of the world. He says, I have nothing. The only thing I have is a little bit of food and a little bit of hay, so I get a little bit of sleep and a little bit of nourishment so I can go back for another day and work out in the fields and break my body. He says, is it not enough yet? Have you not taken enough from me yet? I can't anymore, I can't live like this. Anyway, the guy's sitting there screaming, crying outside from the prayers. What happens? Rabbi wakes up. (laughs) In my brain, I was like, if I turn the page and the rabbi told him to keep it quiet because he's trying to sleep, I'm leaving. (laughs) Rabbi leaves. They come back a year later to this town, and the rabbi tells a student we have to make a stop. This student thinking, I'm sheep I'm not he says, he says, where are we go? He goes, remember where we went last time? We go, the guy leads the carriages to the same place. They pull up, but now it's not a hut, it's a massive mansion. And there's farms and there's this and there's that. And the rabbi comes with his student and he says, he says, Good afternoon. Good afternoon. The master of the house is now not out chopping wood. He has, uh, he has workers, he has this, he has that. The Rabbi says, you know, may we, can, can we come in? He says, yes. And he asks the man, he says, uh, can you tell me your story? And then I'll tell you mine. And the man says, I'll tell you, I used to be, uh, what's it called? I used to be a, a very, have a very hard time uh, with uh, with all these different, you know, you know, things with work. He says, I gathered some scraps together, uh, you know, after my woodchopper days, I bought like one barrel of wine and I figured maybe I'll sell the wine to somebody and then maybe, you know, at a little profit, then I'll buy some more wine. I couldn't anymore. I, my body was broken, my spirit was broken, you know. He says, anyway, and that day, the day that I bought this little barrel of wine, that the one barrel that I had to sell, Um, The local Purits, the local uh, non-Jewish, you know, authority came to my house and asked me for wine. All I had was this little bit of wine to sell. And if I gave him the wine, if I gave him a drink of wine, if I, you know, then I wouldn't have any for myself. So he says, so I poured in one cup of wine and I mixed it with half a cup of water. Just, you know, so that I would save some, so that I'd have some to sell. I served it to the Purits. The parrot said he'd never had such wine in his life. It was the most delicious wine. He told everybody in the town, and pretty soon, there was a long line of people waiting outside asking me for wine. He says, that bottle of wine, I bought many more. I stretched the bottle with water, but somehow I was blessed from Hashem that no matter what I served, the word on the street was that I had the best wine in town. And these guys, they lived to drink, you don't know, he says, in a matter of a short amount of time, I became one of the wealthiest people in town. I rebuilt my shack. I built myself a thing. I took care of my wife like a queen. And this is where I am today. And the Baal Shem Tov smiles. And he says, and now let me tell you my story. He says, I knew, I understood that you were supposed to be a wealthy man a long time ago. But there was never a point in your life when you prayed to God from the depth of your heart. Because there was always just enough for you to kind of feel safe enough, relaxed enough, to be able to just kind of go from miserable existence on day one to miserable existence on day two to miserable existence on day three. If I hadn't come and taken the little bit of food and the little mattress that you had on that one day, you might never have prayed in your life, you might never have received the blessing that was sitting there waiting for a prayer from the depths of your heart to come down to this earth. He says, that's my part of the story. My friends, I look at this story and I see the fact that the Torah tells us that these were great men. The fact that the Torah tells us that they are nisieha edahem they are the leaders of the people. I see the Arizal telling me that not only are they great people, but they have the souls of even greater people attached to them. Magnificent. Wonderful. And then they go, and they make the biggest mistake of their lives. And then they go and make a mistake that actually sets back the Jewish people, the whole Jewish nation, 40 years in the desert. What was missing? A pit stop at the Marat HaMakpela. Had they on the... Uh, the Shelach Lecha Tour Bus Agency, had they taken a pit stop, taken the bus with Kalev, Kalev, instead of making him go in an Uber or get by himself to the Kever, if they'd gone with him to the Maratha HaMachbelah, the Jewish people would not have had the story of the desert. The the spies would not have, uh, unfortunately, died in the aftermath of that story. All would have been rectified through the power of what? Of tefillah my friends oftentimes we don't understand the power of tefillah and for many of us the reason why we don't understand it is because we become jaded we prayed for something once and it didn't work we prayed for it again it didn't work eventually you think to yourself eh? so you know what you do even when you pray you pray as a kind of let's cover the bases way like you know what if this works okay you know I'll throw up this Hail Mary, and if it works, all right, nothing to lose, anyway, I was losing the game. A prayer like that doesn't work, Rabotai. It needs to come from the depths of a person's heart, where a person realizes that without Borei Ulam, I can't, I'm nothing. And the irony is that the greater a person is, the more mystical things he has, and the fact that he's connected with this, and connected with that, the more he thinks, I don't need that prayer. It took the guy getting to a place where he had nothing at all. Zero, literally. Now drop a drop of food in his belly, not a, a ability to sleep, to take a nap, you know, to refresh himself. When suddenly he realized that if Hashem doesn't help him, no one will. You know, it's so funny. I, I, I see this line all the time. At the end of the Tachanun, right? It says, you know, melech Ata. We have all these lines where in the end of the Tachanunim, it says, you know, we have only one king but you. You know, without you, we're nothing. Right? Without, with Hashem, please, if you don't do it, no one, you know, if you don't do it, no one can. Right? Literally, with the whole of the Tachanunim is that. But then we feel like, you know what? We're very happy that today we had Kol Ram and we didn't, and we skipped. Sorry, we had the uh, and we skipped the Tachanun. And the funny thing to me is I'm of, of two minds. On the one hand, you know, on the day there's no tahanun, you don't, have, you don't have the what's it called, you don't have the tahanun so people are happier when they, you know, when they leave the shul, it's a little bit earlier, they come down to the class, bit a little bit of a bigger smile. On the other hand, I'm thinking to myself, we didn't get those words in, you know? la e atta. We don't have a king but you, no one can do anything for me except for you. If you really said those words with conviction, you wouldn't be in a rush to leave the shul. Because the reason why you're in a rush to leave the shul is because you're trying to get to work but if you understood that the work actually is not gonna make you that money, that you can go to work an hour early and accomplish nothing in that hour, or you can go to work an hour late and accomplish more than you accomplished on the day that you came in early, which all of us have experienced in the working world, right? We've all experienced that there are projects that we worked so hard on that didn't deliver anything. And then there's a project that you know, randomly you got an email, all you had to do was forward the email and all of a sudden you got a new account. It's wild. From those instances, you know, we wind up seeing this. There's a very famous pasuk. The pasuk says, From my flesh I see bore Olam. And I always say this. This is so interesting. The literal interpretation of what Davina Melech was saying is, I see from the complexity of my body, of my bodily functions, I see the fact that there's a divine designer. I see that God created the world, you know why? Because look at how complicated the body is. We talked about this yesterday uh, at the Shabbat table. I don't know if you know, when you eat food, what happens? It goes into your stomach and in your stomach there are acids in your stomach. Those acids are so strong that if you took some of your stomach acid and poured it on the floor, it would eat a hole through a wooden floor. Do you know that? It's so caustic, the acid. It's so strong. It's stronger than battery acid. Think about the fact that when you swallow chunks of meat, so sometimes you chew it, chew it, chew it until it's nothing. But a lot of times you give it a couple of chews and you swallow You swallowed a hunk of meat. How did the body get rid of that? It goes in. The acid literally destroys it. So if acid can take a steak and turn it into nothing, can break down meat, what is your stomach made out of? Meat. How could the same acid that destroys the meat not destroy your stomach? And you know what the answer is? Boreolam Olam says, no, I got this, don't worry. I'm gonna put a lining in your stomach, which is anti-acid so that place it won't burn but when you ever have a little bit of acid reflux when the acid goes to a place where it's not supposed to you feel like your throat is on fire when you throw up what's happening you're taking some of that stomach acid out of its proper place outside of its proper place it's eating away at your throat you understand? is this clear to everybody? my friends this is so interesting from my body I see the complexity of my bodily functions, the way Hashem designed our body, I see God in the world. But I also think that there's another interpretation. <clears throat> I have the vaccine. <clears throat> there's another <clears throat> interpretation for me You know how I look at it? I look at my skin and I see God. Sometimes you do something, you work really hard, right, and you're sweating and you got nothing. And sometimes you didn't sweat at all, and you hit a home run. Just by looking at my skin, looking at myself, how hard I was working, is it flushed red from effort? Or am I relaxed sitting there, made a phone call at the pool, and now I have money for this week? Are we seeing this? From the state of my body, from the state of my actual skin, sometimes I can see God. And if that's the case, how could we run? Why would we run? Why would we have our talet and tefillin off and out the door of the shul if we actually felt that way? A tefillah that comes from the depth of a person's soul can change their life. But sometimes we need to actually be put in a situation like the Baal Shem Tov did to this unfortunate man until the person realizes that they don't have a move but to pray to Hashem. Nothing else will help. Not your yichus, not the soul that's attached to you, not the fact that you went for a berachah to who knows who. Pray, pray to God. Karov Adonai lechol koreav, God is close to all those that call out, with one caveat, to be'emet, all those that call out to him authentically, in truth, genuinely